Hello and welcome to Deluded, the Melbourne Demons podcast. Neats, we just wasted another morning watching a Richmond Premiership. Any reflections on that? Well, the funniest part had to be after the game, um, we got a call from one of our fav- one of your best friends in the world, I will say, Josh Drake, who's also been on this podcast a few times. And uh, he called from, from Brussels to debrief about the game because he's a massive Richmond supporter. And you just didn't want to talk to him. I had to tell him Kieran's in the bathroom and he's not coming out because he doesn't have anything to say to you right now. So that was a little bit of a sour. I'm very sour. I hate Richmond. I feel very, very jealous. They're meant to be one of the shit teams and they're not. Um, The Dustin Martin, I mean, he's an absolute gun. I I look at his face and I see some weird combination of Scully and Trango pressed into (laughs) his forehead. Do you know what? Just disappointment. Look, the truth is... Dustin Martin's game, those four goals were all just sublime. And he's yeah. having a laugh, really. I mean, I don't... He's so good. He's just that good. I don't really understand how he doesn't win the Brownlow every single year, um, yeah. except for the fact that he's just not really trying all that hard um, up until, you know, you get to finals times because he is just that much better than every single other person. I mean, some of those goals were just... They were exquisite. Like, and yeah. it's funny because I think that the comparison between him and Patrick Dangerfield is... Your is, most hated player, to be Yeah, clear. I'm not a big Danger fan, I'll be honest. But I think, for me, I just think that that comparison is absurd. You know, Dustin Martin is one of the most incredible kicks, really, that the game has seen. He's an unbelievable decision maker. Um, he's not just an accumulator, and he really is just a match winner. And, you know, for me, I just sit there thinking... Um, I just, he's just that much better than everyone else. It looks like he's playing a different game. And um, no, I, yeah, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Dangerfield, probably because he represents Geelong. And I just, for me, Geelong mm. is like my most hated team. Yeah, um, such a tough grand final to watch, really. It really was, it's hard yeah. to find two more dislikable teams. Well, like. I'll never forgive Geelong for that 180-point loss. So, you know, for me, it's it's I really hate Geelong. And so I, I was probably quite happy with the result and more willing to talk to your friends than you are, apparently, Kieran. Yeah, well... <laughs> Anyway, enough with the grand final. No the question is, I do have one question though. Do you think that Christian Petrarca will will get to that level? Because, you know, you watch some of those goals and they are incredible. And I, you obviously sit there thinking, is there anyone in our list who could possibly do that? Hmm. And the only person is is potentially Christian Petrarca. And do you think he could be that star? Yeah, I mean, he has the talent to do it. I mean, he's a fantastic kick and his contested marking, I'd say, could be better than Dusty's because he's got a real spring, right? So he, he absolutely could. The question for him is, can he do it in finals, right? We all know now that he can do it in the regular season. I think he absolutely can, but you don't really know until someone gets into that position, right? Yeah, and you're hopeful that, you know, Track would have watched that and been like, that's that's what I want to be. Yeah. You know, that's effectively Go back to reading the secret. Yeah, like- <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, it does take time with players, right? It's funny to think that, you know, as you said, like we picked Scully and Trenko, God, but... um. You know, a few years ago, I mean, well, it wasn't that long ago, really, that Richmond were trying to trade Dustin Martin to GWS mm. and he was touring the GWS facilities. And it's yeah. extraordinary to think of how far he's come. And also the track couldn't really run. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. A lot can change. I think Petrarca is absolutely on the right path. So I'm pretty confident. Well, that's but- a pretty unbelievable performance. But hopefully it serves as some type of inspiration because, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. He is just the GOAT. Absolutely. Dustin Martin. But Neats. Let's get into it. Very, very excited about this episode of Deluded. Um, we managed to land an interview with Glenn Bartlett. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how he did that. <laughs> <laughs> so Glenn Bartlett, the chairman of the Melbourne Football Club and president of the club, it's it was quite a uh, an amusing story. And we're so 
incredibly appreciative of Glenn's time and the fact that he agreed to this. But basically what happened was uh, <laughs> I am definitely one for Melbourne fan forums. I can't resist, actually. Mm. And I was on the uh, Melbourne Demons Uncensored forum, which is... Yep. One of our favorites. One of our favorites. There's a lot lot going on in that forum. Yeah. <laughs> It's some random crap in there, but there's some good stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth a laugh. So you should definitely join if you're a Melbourne supporter because it's quite amusing. Anyway, and you know, as you can imagine, given our very disappointing end to the season, um, the losses against uh, the Swans and, and Fremantle in particular hurt cut deep, and a lot of Melbourne supporters were very angry. And and somebody in the Melbourne Demons. Um, uncensored group uh, basically somehow found Glenn Bartlett's email address and emailed him um, and Glenn uh, very impressively I would say responded to the guy and then called him and they actually called this very sort of random supporter and they had a long discussion about the club and where it was Mm. headed and I was really impressed by that because you know it's very easy I think for presidents and for people in senior positions to kind of you know to sort of say I'm too busy to, to mm. talk individually to supporters. But I think that this really showed great leadership. And, and I was really quite, I was just really quite, um, I was just very impressed actually by the fact that he did that. And this guy obviously proceeded to post everything, <laughs> including Glenn's email address <laughs> in the Melbourne Demons Uncensored fan forum, um, to which I thought, okay, let's see how we go. And um, so I emailed Glenn and he um was great and and said yes absolutely and that it was a real privilege for him to serve this club and he really liked speaking directly to supporters and mm. and obviously any forum in which he can um you know through which he can communicate with supporters more directly as opposed to sort of the usual AGM or um or club best and fairest is is a really op- wonderful opportunity for him so uh that's basically how it happened through kind of creepy uh fan forums mm. um <laughs> but yeah it was a really wonderful discussion that we had with glenn yeah absolutely and to be honest i came into the chat just feeling a little bit down and a bit cynical about the club's direction i'm sure a lot of fans can relate to that it's been a pretty disappointing decade yeah. multiple decades and this season was so disappointing but i was just blown away by by bartlett i, I just think he came across as such a thoughtful, focused, and kind of ruthless guy. And I know ruthless is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but you hear him speak and you feel like the club is going in the right direction, at least at board level. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's just the level of professionalism, you know, and I think ruthless is a really important word. I, I, as you know, I'm probably a bit ruthless in my own general approach to everything, but... Um, I know, you give me an annual review every yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> You're sticking around for the immediate future. Yes. Um, No, it's no, but but for me, it was very impressive to see because, you know, you always want to make sure that from board level down, um, there are processes in place um, to ensure steady and and continued success. And I can honestly say that I feel very confident in the board's direction based on, based on this conversation with Glenn. And, Hmm. um, you know, we cover a lot of really interesting topics in this interview, such as Clayton Oliver's future, Hmm. which I know has been a hotly discussed topic, um, all the source of, yeah, a, a lot of much conjecture. We talked a little bit about um, his feelings about the end of the season in terms of some of the losses that we saw mm. um, that ultimately led to our, um, you know, ending our finals campaign. Mm. Um, his big spray. His big spray. What we talked about it. that. What and, prompted it and how yeah. it all happened. Um, his thoughts on some of our big trades over the past couple of years, such as uh, Jack Watts and Jesse Hogan. Mm. Um, and obviously the one of the main questions on everyone's mind at the moment, who's a Melbourne supporter or an AFL supporter really, is, is what exactly is going to happen to Simon Goodwin. Yeah, absolutely. And and we hope you enjoy this interview. Obviously, there's a million topics we could cover, but we tried to ask him very direct and focused questions because 
the truth is there's a lot of spin out there. Um, and understandably, I think most football clubs just trot out the same kind of spin. So we asked him some pretty direct questions and he had some pretty, pretty direct answers. So yeah, I suppose without um, any further ado, let's get straight into it. Awesome. Go Dees. Go Dees. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us on Deluded. Um, I just want to start by by way of a discussion about the club's financial position, because obviously when you took over as chairman, needless to say, the club's financial position was fairly perilous and uh, and disastrous. And and now we are in a position where we are an unassisted AFL club um, and have paid off all of our debts, even in the midst of one of the worst pandemics, you know, in the history of of mankind. So can you talk us through the club's financial position and what it means actually to be an unassisted AFL club in practical yeah, terms? Thanks, Nader and Kieran, for the, for the opportunity. Um, yeah, so seven years ago, I guess when I took over, I think the debt level was about $8.5 million and we had you know, our foundation heroes group of unbelievable supporters had probably wiped the debt out in 08 or 09 in that, that period, but we were 8.5 million in debt in 2013. Um, had had about a $3.1 million loss on a sort of 40 mil revenue, which, um, and at, at the time actually, had a caretaker coach, Peter Jackson had agreed to be CEO for six months to find a CEO front of the jumper, back of the jumper sponsors, um, off. So the initial thing was probably the first two or three years was we need to stop the bleeding on and off the field and they both relate to each other. But we need to really, 2013, I think sometimes, um, I don't typically talk about it because um, we sort of moved well beyond that. You know, we had the fifth worst season in AFL, BFL history with two wins and 50%. Mm. I didn't think the list was too bad, but as I got into the club, we didn't have a clear list management strategy. It was all about talent, you know, not about you know character and other attributes. Um, and you know, we developed a system out of that. We probably had about eight players, but you needed, in the sense of top AFL players out of that group, we needed, I think, Fremantle Hawthorne, the work we'd done at 24, 26. And so you need sort of that minimum that depth for that quality of player. You know, now we've now clearly got in excess of that in terms of list management. We've followed the data and the process for that over a period of time. So um, I've got no doubt we've got, I'll put it that I've got the cattle, the, the talent. But coming back to the financials, we, um, the board and the execs work really hard for a period of time. We're now, we're in a position where I believe if you have good processes, you'll typically make good decisions and, we did a lot of work in 2018 to decide to exit gaming, which was a two-stage thing. First, to sell our business at the Leak Hotel, which we sold for approximately $11 million at a peak, at a really good time. And all the work we'd done was that, that industry and the value was going to decline. And it was something from day one I was not comfortable our club being part of. So, you know, that was um, a big decision for us. And that's helped us remain a unassisted club. But we've now got... Um, the fourth best balance sheet uh, in, in the AFL. Uh, we said um, in about 2014, I think we said at AGM we'd be debt free by 2020. When COVID hit, uh, it was a real, we set up a crisis working group. Uh, wonderful support from the board. John Trotter, Chair of Audit and Risk, he and I immediately with the exec got on this working group. 
which we're meeting basically every day. Board meetings went from monthly to weekly. We're looking at an eight to ten million dollar loss, probably like most clubs this year, and um, we'll definitely got that back to a three in front of it, probably a two, mm. and we'll and we expect to be debt free by the end of this year. Um, and as I said, have the fourth best balance sheet in terms of. Um, and we, we have a facility which has been debt-free. We've got some headrooms, so we'll not need with fundraising as well um, with our Proud to Belong campaign. Um, we'll not need AFL assistance at this point. And we want to be a financially strong and proud club and independent. So it really means that if you're an assisted club, and I saw some reporting last week, I think 12 clubs are now assisted. There's only six that are unassisted. Um, and we know we're one of those six, obviously. Um, there's really stringent reporting clubs, right down to everything you can spend, decisions you make. Uh, they have to be run through headquarters if you sign up as an assisted club. And so we were very keen, whilst we work with the AFL and that's part of what we need to do, we're keen not to like have an administrative type situation where all of your decisions, financial decisions are kind of out of your hand. You've got to report you got to produce all these reports, run these things past. We don't want to be in that world, preferably. And it's important, I think, for our supporters and our mindset to be financially strong and independent. So I haven't really reflected too often, but yeah, it's been a lot of work by a lot of people to get us from that position of, um, I guess, even conversations of insolvency potentially around the table. And that's just not even on the agenda. We've got a very strong balance sheet. Um, at the moment, Bentley Club's not operating, uh, but the gaming machine licences there will cease in 2022. And we've got a big decision to make. And that's probably an asset, the land that's now worth 20 to $25 million and decision to make about what we do at the Bentley Club. So, um, but we haven't lost sight of the fact that all of this we're doing, it's all, you know, from our club and supporters point of view of putting our football program in the strongest possible position. Um, to seriously challenge for finals and to deliver that next premiership. Well, yeah, I think we can say, probably on behalf of all supporters, um, thank you for your work on the finances. Um, I mean, we can all remember some pretty dark periods as Melbourne supporters. Um, and it's a truly remarkable achievement, especially in the face of COVID. But I, I think that links quite nicely to the kind of the first question um, that we'd wanted to ask you. Um, and that is, so... Obviously, the board's primary responsibility in a lot of ways is to ensure that the club's finances are secured and the viability of the club is secured long term. One, I guess, perennial question as a supporter is the extent to which the board has any involvement in football decisions. So, for example, we've obviously had a number of really high profile moves in recent years. We've had Hogan and Watts out, Lever and May in. Did the board need to sign off on any of those decisions? Yeah, look, it's, it's a good decision. I guess primarily from a board focus to start with, um, under our constitution, we're responsible for the management of the clubs. The buck stops with, with me. Now, having said that, um, we've been very big on knowing your role, playing your role as, as board members and as excited as we might get. And I might want to get into the selection of the team and you know, bring the coach. We've been very strong on getting the right people in the right places and then giving them the right resources and asking the right questions, but supporting them to do their, their job. Um, so 
you know, the, the obviously big decisions are we ran a really thorough CEO process, despite what some people might write or think. Used a global firm, couldn't have done it in my view any better than what we did it. Um, and and out of that process, it became a bit of a, you know, Gary Perth was appointed, you know, um, the senior coach appointment, go back to Rusey in the first place and the whole succession plan. You know, obviously that's a board decision board appointment. And then typically, it's more about the board. We're more interested in the list management strategy and, you know, that it's broader than just talent. And the club, I think, had made some errors in the past of just going after talent and not having a comprehensive strategy around the Melbourne person and what's going to make us really go from um, good to great. Sorry to steal a Jim Collins sort of line, <laughs> but, um, you know, how's that going to take us to that next level. Um, now, the big decisions, you know, we've developed really good relationships. So um, they might come to the board by way of a view or I might get a phone call about, look, we're thinking about this. What do you, what do you think about like the Jack Watts decision, the Jesse Hogan, as much as I you know, love those guys as Melbourne players, the decisions and the reasons for it and around it um, made, made perfect sense. Um, to me, and, and I have a bit of a view. In, in it might sound ruthless, but you know, are these people going to take us to the last day in September? And can you see them being part of that? And do they fit our culture and values and where the the bus is is heading or not? And if they don't, then you need to make the higher calls. And I think um, overall, you know, the decisions have uh, been pretty good decisions there. I think with Lever and um, and May, I wouldn't get involved in the specifics of trade points or particular draft picks, but the strategy or the need, you know, we follow their building of the list and the two key defensive posts were pretty significant. Well, when we lined up against West Coast in the premium, like we beat them a few weeks before, that doesn't necessarily help you then in a, in a final, but, you know, there are two key areas that if we're seriously about, serious about winning a flag, um, need to be addressed. So, and and the other thing is, you know, if you look at a Jake Lever, the leadership qualities and the sort of person, our guys, our list management guys, have followed him for a long time and probably would have drafted him as a um, eighteen-year-old if they if they had the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, typically, I guess the answer is we've we've put our list management group and you know Josh Varnia's GM Footy Operations oversees that, and they do report regulate of the board and but for us it's more about have you got the strategy right have you identified the right spots then getting involved in the weeds or the negotiations um but then there'll be some big calls that you know if, if i was gm free operations even if i wasn't required to i'd probably run it past the chair of the board um, okay. and get some thoughts on it well, does that does that answer your question or no, it does. It does. So, so what I take away from that is the list management strategy is always presented to the board, but not necessarily every individual decision, unless maybe if it's, it's of a certain magnitude. Is that a fair kind of summary? Yeah, it will certainly be updated. But in, certain, in, in terms of the board making a decision on, you know, um, do you recruit Ben Brown or not, right? Now we ride in the mix for you know with Ben Brown. I really hope we can, personally I hope we can get him to the club. But at the end of the day, 
they'll make the call. And what I've seen over the last seven years is I think they've been a very professional group and, and you know, pretty much got it right. There's always going to be different opinions mm. and, and people perhaps you could have, should have gone that way and not that way. But overall, they've built a strong list around a, a strategy um, and, and also have backup players in terms of most most positions and there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. Um, and it hasn't been an easy exercise from where we were to where we've got it, got it now. So, you know, I, I, I think we've got a top four list. Most people we talk to in footy, it's top four to top six, something we've got the best list that's kind of opinionated, but there's some data behind it. And there's been a process behind it. And that's what as a chair of a board, that's what I'll fundamentally want to make sure we're not just picking players based on opinions or with no real planning or strategy around it. Our job as a board is to to make sure they've got the right strategy, the right approach. So Glenn, I am really interested in hearing you say um, that you think our list is is top four and is really capable of contending for a flag because that's that is something that a lot of Melbourne supporters are wondering where does the where did the, where does the club see our list is at because mm. if we look at the strategic plan. Uh, what was set out in that strategic plan is that we would be playing finals and then potentially winning a flag in the next four years. Obviously, this year we did not make finals. We didn't. We had a disastrous season last year. We made one prelim final, and the year before that we had a similarly uh, disappointing end to the season and finished ninth. So I have yeah. to ask you: if the list is good enough then is the coach the right person to take us to that next level and to unlock that talent that we have at our disposal at the moment? Yeah, so it just reminded me about 2017. You know, I hadn't seen the Godfather movies before and after 2017, I watched the Godfather trilogy um, uh, on, the, on the back on the back of that. And, and um, this year was, you know, an equally disappointing end to the season, um, we got away, um, you know, to a, a, a poor start, and some things weren't kind to us. The you know season suspended when we're about to play in Perth, and then the Essendon game getting suspended when we're ready to go. You know, the change to play Richmond on three days' notice from from Sydney, um, and then there were some really good wins as, as as well. The inconsistency was the frustrating frustrating thing. We're doing, um, and I'm not going to speculate. Um, other than to say we're doing a deep dive review into coaching um, and to make sure we've got um, the very right setup and the right people around um, around Simon and that Simon's part of this review um, to take us in a pursuit of excellence to where we need to go to. And we don't shy away from, it was a fail for our men's team. Our women's team played their first finals. And that was a fantastic... You know, we've probably got robbed of a premiership, arguably, with the season getting suspended uh, there. But um, means team and expectation hasn't changed. Um, the board expects we'll play finals and be a serious challenge and deliver at least one flag in the next three years. We don't shy away from that. Uh, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we've got the right structure now. We do need to be mindful. So if I go, guess I go back to the process and thinking after the Cairns debacle, um, when, you know, I was really disappointed with Sydney, but there were perhaps some explanations for what happened in the Sydney game. I was more disappointed within 
we'd had four days, a further four days in Cairns to adjust and play the ground. And I was more disappointed with the Fremantle loss, which in the end, you know, cost us a spot in the finals. Um, you know, you could arguably say we should have beaten Geelong and Brisbane as well. We had our chances in those games and our two top four teams. So I've got no, I've got no doubt we've got the capability. We clearly, on the coaching side, there needs to be some changes. We've gone, we made 17 changes. So we started out after the Cairns game going, do you do a full external review of the whole footy program? And then you pause and work through it, go, okay, it's actually a COVID-19 environment. We've got to take $3 million out of our budget, which means real impact on real people. So we've taken a whole lot of jobs out, coaches out, salary cuts, and we've got to make this program better and make some other other changes. Um, so it's a deep dive into, into coaching, the structure, the standards, the behaviours, the culture, that whole space. But we, so we went from, and we consulted with some external parties in this process, it became pretty clear. You made 17 changes, Burgess was a great in. We've gone from 7th to ninth. should have played finals, we didn't, it's a fail. Let's not blow up the whole program. So um, we believe, we still believe Simon um, is capable of being our next premiership coach, but we need to make a, a deep dive review. And I, I'd anticipate without speculating, so I haven't got the report yet, but I'd anticipate changes um, coming out of the review. And, and um, you know, part of it, which, uh, you know, I think is exciting is Adam Uzo, you know, obviously coming back to our club, but given his credentials and given what we need in that space, you know, he's a, he's a great get um, for us. So, um, yeah, so sort of watch this space, but it, it's, we're not sitting back going, um, it's, so, so what happens in terms of senior coaches, if, if you look around, it's very easy. So I'll go back to the board. I've got a great board around me and I've made, we've just made some great decisions with a couple of additions. Um, we're a team exec. We've got a great exec around Purdy. Purdy's the main man, but we've got a great team in there. In the footy program, there's a lot of moving parts to make that program the best program it can be. Yep, Simon's a senior coach, but we've got to get all of that right. Um, we made 17 changes last year. We believe we got a lot right, and it's sort of narrowed into a funnel, I guess. It's that coaching and development space which is a real focus and we'll address that. And I'm confident we need to steer the course and hold the line and we'll get the rewards. You only have to look around at Richmond and Collingwood and some other clubs, even West Coast. We're going wobbly on Simpson at one point. So we believe in the program and we're not at a point we're going to go, look, let's, let's blow up the program and let's bring in a whole lot of key leaders and start again. That would be a foolish thing to do in my view. Is that... Yeah, it's a long yeah. answer, a short question. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it did answer the question, but, but one thing a, a number of supporters um, have asked us, and we do need to ask you this. So if we're a top four list, uh, top four capability, um, mm. if we don't make finals in 2021, do you think that Simon Goodwin would still be the coach? Now, we fully understand that it's not just him, it's a full football department, but that's one question a number of supporters have, I think. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm not going to speculate on that. I mean, Simon's contracted to coaches. Um, he's the coach. You know, as I said, we've got, to, we've got to be mindful. We're an environment as well where there's cuts, significant cuts, mental health issues, a lot of pressure there. We're going to, what we're going to do 
is we're reviewing it to, to really make the changes and you know, there may be feedback for, for Simon out of this process, but make the necessary changes. Our best chance of success, I believe, is actually you know, getting around Simon and supporting him and getting to make sure that the right people um, and we're driving standards in a ruthless way across the club. Um, right. And that won't, that won't even be a consideration if we get that right. Okay, great. And I, I suppose the reason I asked that question is there's been a lot of interest in the Port Adelaide model. Um, and of course, David Koch was very public about setting a finals benchmark. But I guess you seem to be saying that there's no specific benchmark that you would set, or especially not set publicly, as to as to the senior coach? Well, I'm not going to speculate. We've made it really clear on the board expectations. And, you know, what, what I do expect is, you know, the way we drive standards and, you know, that we actually um, regroup and, and drive those standards and, and get the results. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I've been pretty strong on, on what I've said through this year. Um, the expectations are there. Um, I want to get the right people absolutely around Simon and the right changes, and, and it's been worked through. And I'm not going to speculate on what they might be or how many there might be. Um, and then we'll, we'll see what happens. But the expectation is, and I don't know, I just want to make the numbers up either. I think we, I think we have more capability than that. Um, but it's one thing to talk about it; it's another thing to deliver it. And there's a lot of standards and stuff to address behind the scenes and you guys will see the finished product but there's a lot that will happen before then glenn i want to talk to you a little bit about the comments that you made throughout the season um because mm. i can categorically say that i loved it um much like i think a lot of other melbourne supporters um because it did Absolutely. show yeah. a ruthlessness um a desire to win um, which was an, a hunger to win, to be honest, and, and a sort of a, a sort of standard of excellence being placed upon the club. Um, and I guess I wanted to know what prompted that particular um, reaction, and, and was it sort of a, a deliberate thing, or was it just kind of a little bit of an emotional reaction or response to what was we can all agree was a very poor performance? And and I guess I want to know if that was the case. Why didn't we see sort of similar responses from you towards the end of the season when, as you say, we lost in a very disappointing fashion, very similar to 2017, um, to end our season and our finals chances? It's a really good question. Uh, it wasn't a calculated, planned, you know, I've been very measured through my whole tenure and as a former player and a long background in the game, you know, it can be very unhelpful, you know, things the presidents might say about feel on field or yeah that that sort of performance. Um, so it wasn't a calculated thing. I'm really passionate about Melbourne. People who know me look a dog with the bone. You know, people <laughs> saying how long you can do it for. Well, um, our home base is going to get built, and I want to see at least one premiership, if not more than that, in in, in my time. And I'm not going to waste the opportunity. So it was just one of the, I got to that point where. Um, what I saw, like I was really disappointed that we didn't beat Brisbane in that game four days before, and we certainly had opportunities. And um, there was just a, you know, some build-up of frustration on the day. And I'd, I'd received a number of, you know, messages and and you know, been spoken to Purdy and 
just couldn't, um, I wasn't going to sugarcoat it. And so when John Ralph rang me, it wasn't like a pre-prepared statement. It just rolled off my tongue as to how I felt and how I felt the players and the coaches can make, you know, I know the work that's gone into the club over the last seven years in every aspect. And the players and coaches can make the biggest difference in terms of how people feel and it has such an impact. And COVID-19, we're looking forward to all of us that are, you know, restricted, can't go to the games. Let's really looking forward to watching the game. And I just saw something that was unbecoming of the Melbourne jumper. Um, and it's, it was for the coaches and the players to address it because, you know, I was tired of it really. You know, it just had, and I felt, I felt our supporters, I felt our players, I felt our coaches, I felt our staff, I felt our sponsors, I felt the football world needed to hear it at that point in time that I, you know, just, but it was a, it literally happened in half an hour. It's just one of those things that, you know, um, I just spoke my mind about it. Um, and you know, different people have different opinions, you know. Bernie Vince had an opinion about it. Um, you know, I sit at the apex of the club. The buck stops with me. I'll back people in 100%. You know, our CEO knows it, our coach knows it, our players know it. I love our club. And, you know, you're better than that. We're better than that. This has an impact on a lot of people. Um, time, once time's gone, it's gone. You know, you don't get another chance at the opportunity. Just we need to, you know, really make every place to win. Yeah, we're going to lose games. We understand that. But we can't lock up what it looks like we're not trying. Mm. Um, there's too much work going in. There's too much talent in this group um, for that. So, you know, and we had a number of really good conversations and things that flowed from that. Um, within the four walls. Um, I didn't think, I think the Cairns, so that there are a number of things around the, the first, the Sydney game, you know, um, in the COVID world, we don't get to choose when we get to fly. So it's no felt chartered flight that was delayed, that many of our players arrived 40 minutes before the bus was leaving to the ground. In a completely different setup, no chance to acclimatise. So the Sydney, sort of, it's a bit of a mulligan. I sort of was unhappy about it, but understood it's going to sound like excuses, but there might be some explanation for why they're off. But not the Fremantle game. I, you know, I'll still be interested once I hear what the full review of all of that was. Um, there were seven, eight changes I think made to that team. Possibly too many. You know, more of a selection. Thing, um, but you win one of those two games, we play finals. So having said that, um, like I was really proud of the way they bounced back and finished the last two games against the Giants and and and, and Essendon, and probably more the way they played in in those games. You know, they brought the effort, and and we we saw, I think we saw a better a better system. So probably probably in the US, it's probably it doesn't help us much here, but nine eight's probably considered a winning. Mm. Season nine wins, eight losses. Um, you know, the draw, we would have had another five games against bottom six teams. Obviously, that, that, that getting cut. Um, you know, there were a few things that worked against us, but we want to be a club where there's no excuse if you just get on and, and get results. That was the most disappointing thing. We still had our chances, 
and we're in the eighth a little bit in the last week and in our, our life, you know, our destiny was in Bulldogs and Fremantle and you just don't want to, we shouldn't be in that position. So, again, there's some hard lessons um, for that, but there's also a lot of positives in what's been built and what's in front of us. Um, yeah, so um, I didn't think it was actually helpful or necessary on the back of the cans going to actually have to say anything. I've been, been giving regular feedback internally. I'd said my piece. They know me as a leader. Um, we're not here to make up the numbers. You know, we, we've, we've put a lot of work in to give us now. At least the, the dialogue's changed with the conversations about us playing finals and top four and where we should be. You know, not how much we're going to lose by or sort of stopping the, but we're fully committed to delivering that next premiership. But you actually got to get some things, a whole lot of stuff right first and put yourself in that top four position typically, in my view. Glenn, I'm interested in what you'd say to members that are a little bit disillusioned after this year. So the club has obviously had a very good run with membership in the last few years. I think five membership records in a row until this year where we had a drop. Um, and yeah. unfortunately, I think the biggest drop percentage of any club in the competition um, in a year where other clubs had increases. So I'm interested to know, what are the specific initiatives the clubs are planning to do to bring some members back? Obviously, last time we had to Helen back, which you know maybe didn't quite work out on the field, though it was a very nice campaign. Uh, what, what is the plan this, this off-season? Well, I'm not sure Helen back's finished. We might see some more additions <laughs> or... or of Helen back and by the way I'm pretty proud of our media department they they just won AFL media award today for the Helen back documentary um, uh, so well done um, to our media media crew uh, look look first I mean the members that have really stuck with us and supporters really want to thank them for you know sticking with us it is part of you know being part of the club you know good times and bad and, and our members have been fantastic and Sticking and, and this year has been difficult, obviously, with you know the, the economic impact and you know really hard on um, you know, a lot of people out there. So we understand some people haven't been able to renew you know, through hardship, and our thoughts are, are with them. Um, we get we're coming into a. I'd say to our members, you know, just think back to the excitement of our playing in front of ninety thousand. Finals in in 2018, the, the big games of everything being equal, we should um, be playing the blockbusters in front of uh, you know Anzac Eve against Richmond, um, the big freeze, the Queen's Birthday game against Collingwood next year. Hope, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know crowds are back. If um, it'll be exciting, so. I'm a big Frank Checker Hughes fan. I think Frank Checker Hughes is the most underrated character in AFL history. And I mentioned to the past players when I first took over as president, I'd been reading The Red Fox. And if you've read that, you guys read The Red Fox? No. Norm Smith. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to send you a copy of The Thank Red you. Fox. <laughs> um, we'll we'll organise that. Um, because it's such an important moment. So Frank Chicken Hughes was involved in three premierships at Richmond. As reigning premiership coach of Richmond, he moved to Melbourne in the Depression, 1932. Took him seven years, but he coached Melbourne to four flags, including over through the Second World War, lost a number of um, key players and a number of our awards, best and fairest, Keith Laurie Truscott, 
named after players he lost, came back, coached the 48 Premiership, then he stayed as Norm Smith's right-hand man when Norm coached six Premierships. So um, I said to the room that it just struck me, we, we should be playing around Anzac Day for the Frank Sheppard Hughes medal. And that will happen with our next blockbuster game. We, the Frank Shepherd Hughes medal will get awarded. Um, so hopefully that's 2021. Anzac Day, us versus Richmond, which will be exciting. We're edging um, with our home base. I think the essence of the club is having a meeting point. Um, to be blunt, we have been sort of forced out of the MCG. It's, it's, there's other tenants, but it's always been our home. Uh, and we... Are much much closer so we've we've now got to join we set up a working group four years ago on um because the essence of the club is having that meeting place a social club for our members um and the work on that started four years ago you might recall there was an article that found its way into the news that was unhelpful in 2018 about yarra park and jollymont our club being built at jollymont station with oval in yarra park um now that's that's not going to happen, but we've got a joint working group with Vic government, the AFL are right behind us, and and also MOPT, and um, I'm fairly confident that by 2024 we would have built our home base in that precinct. There's five sites identified. The Vic government kindly funding now the second stage of a feasibility study, where the actual sites been identified and feasibility and plans have been developed, um, and it could move. It could move quite quickly, and as soon as naturally we're able to come out and, and identify that site with plans, designs, etc., we'll do that for our members. But for a, a membership, that's really exciting. Of thinking of a home, and so the vision has been what we found out. Of we hired a company called City Collective, who looked at the top 300 elite sporting organisations around the world to really work out what you really need in a in a home base um, in an elite sporting club. Uh, and then went through every piece of land in Melbourne and we developed some non-negotiables. As a board, we came up with, well, the MCG has always been our home. It's got to be in this precinct, which is a easier said than done exercise. But we also found that a number of the top sporting clubs had a secondary base an hour or two away training base. And so $8 million was spent on Casey this year. So we've now got an indoor kicking area change rooms for our women's team and our men's team. There in the playing group actually love going, the coaching group love going to Casey to train in MCG, good quality oval. So we've got, also we don't have media and prying eyes down there. So in terms of secret, it's a good setup, you know, for, for that. So the vision is to have our walking distance, elite training facility, social club in the precinct, um, a marvel size oval. Um, in the precinct um, and our secondary base at, at Casey, and that's all coming together. And I'm hope, really hopeful in the next, you know, six to twelve months, I'll be able to lay out what the concrete plans are and what the time frame exactly is. But I'm confident that'll be done and dusted by 2024. Brilliant. Um, I know we've taken up a lot of your time. We have one last very quick question, if you'll indulge yes. us, um, and that is: um, supporters are very anxious about Clayton Oliver. Uh, very, very anxious. Um, can you please tell us that he's not leaving and will stay at the Melbourne Football Club? <laughs> well, I um, 
So I, I had somebody email me about Jack Viney definitely wearing a Geelong jumper. <laughs> <laughs> he lives down in Geelong. Said everyone down here, everyone's saying to me that, you know, I'm passionate Melbourne. Can you just tell me? I said, look, I'll just check it out. And if you've watched, ever watched The Castle, I, I said, just tell them if I watch The Castle, tell them the dream. It's just not <laughs> going to happen. Jack will be a Melbourne player for life. Anyway, that's, that's why he signed a five-year deal, Jack. So we're, we're happy about that. Clary will be playing for Melbourne. Well, we love Clayton Oliver. Um, you know, one of the hard, thing, hard things for supporters is things get said in the media, some noise starts, you know. There's been things, and sometimes I just ignore it, there's been things that have been written about me factually about processes and so forth. They've just completely been made up, completely false. Mm. Right? Caroline Wilson. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not one bit of, not a scary truth in there, but you can't even respond to it because it's made up. Right? <laughs> right? But unfortunately, some people read it and go, this, this, this must have happened and there must be some truth in, in, in all of this. So, this yeah, that, that does sometimes. We get it. We, we, sorry? I just said this is not New York Times standard journalism, really. This is uh, some real tabloid stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we you got to be pretty resilient in, in our world, and we respond to what we need to. Um, I'm very confident. You know, Clary will be in the red and the blue. We love love Clary. You know, um, he's um, love seeing him charge out of that centre like he did this year, and um, you know, we've got a great group of young players together that. You know, now coming into that window, really, where they've played a lot of footy, enough footy together. Um, we saw, you know, Christian take a, another step this year. We, you know, we want to see more of that and really excited about, you know, young Trent Rivers and Luke Jackson, Cosy Pickett. You know, the, the whole core of our list, really, um, has really taken shape. So, um, you know, I, I strongly believe we're on the cusp. We need to, you know... Um, steer the course, get through this review, make the right changes and full steam into, into 2021. And I'll just say to our supporters, you know, love your support, get on board. Um, a lot of work's gone into this, because I know what's been done um, and you know, we're going to come hard and our expectation is, um, is, is finals, but we're after the main prize. You know, that's not just play, make, we, 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 uh, so exciting in 2018. And I know all of our people want to get back there and be part of that. But you've got to get a lot right to put yourself in that position. And we made changes. We got a lot right this year. There's a few areas that need to be sorted and we'll do that. And we'll attack 2021 like there's no tomorrow. Um, yeah. I, I should say, you know, to, 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 sorry, I should say to finish, I, um, this time around this year, I was pretty disappointed and I, uh, end of the year and um, I had done Taekwondo um, for a number of years and when I moved to Melbourne 10 years ago I was one belt off my black belt and so I've, I've it sort of it's, it's um, spurred me to actually re-enroll to get my black belt and finish the finish the job I'm a bit like that with Melbourne like a dog with a bone and and then I was watching a movie I watched Bad Boys for Life so I went back and watched the the, the first three of those, um, or the first two of those. So, um, but you know, there's a lot happening off the field. There's a lot of work in front of us, but our members should be rest assured we're in, um, you know, good shape financially, good shape off the field. Really happy with Brad Green joining our board and David Rennick. Um, 
really excited about that. Rounds our board out uh, really nicely. What's in front of us for the next three years. And yeah, really looking forward to the next year and beyond. Yeah. Glenn, that was fantastic. I mean, it, it has been a very hard year, as you can imagine, for Melbourne supporters. Obviously, those especially in lockdown, but, you know, watching the team again miss um, finals. But it is very comforting to know that there is, you know, strong leadership and processes in place to make sure that we do, um, you know, sort of set very, very high standards of excellence to try and, and, and meet those standards of excellence. So thank you so much. We, we really are very appreciative of your time. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. And yeah, stay safe. Keep up your great work. We will. Thank, Thank you, you so much. No worries. Okay. Good on you. Hope you all enjoyed that interview. For more Deluded, please join our Facebook group, Deluded, the Melbourne Demons fan community, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please also leave us a review. Go Dees.